Good morning. How you guys doing? Everybody good today? We're so glad you are here with us. It's uh, great being back with you. Sorry I missed you last week. And uh, we're really excited as we uh, wrap this series up today. We've been in this series called Age of Rage in a great group today. I know there's a not very many chairs left as uh, folks are, maybe you guys can squeeze in and help folks find some uh, seats if you have any empty ones next to you. But uh, thank you uh, so much for being here this morning. And uh, this has been a uh, it's been a powerful series we've been in, amen, as we've been looking in God's Word and talking about anger in a lot of different ways and how it impacts our lives, and we're going to be bringing that to a culmination, and, uh, and last week as uh, Pastor Randy talked about Esther and how, how she used something powerfully in her life to affect positive change, as we talked about that on Mother's Day, and, and you know, as we're in this series and we're coming out of Mother's Day, and I hope you guys had a great experience last week with your moms and but, uh, you know, as I was reading something this week, in 1980, speaking of moms, there was one mom that got especially mad and angry about something devastating that happened in her life. Someone had made it within her community, had made a deliberate choice to drink too much alcohol. And when that person drank too much alcohol while being on a three-day binge... In spite of the intoxication that was uh, happening in this person's life, he chose to get behind the wheel and drive his vehicle through a neighborhood. And due to the impairment from the alcohol in his, that he had been uh, consuming over that three-day binge, due to his impairment, he veered off the road. There was a 13-year-old girl that was walking along the street there, and she was struck by the car, killing her as, long as, ki- as well as killing the dreams of the parents who uh, loved her so much, and I couldn't help but think about all these students that were up here. Wasn't that great today to see that? See all the students and all the dreams that they have out ahead of them, and I know you parents are so proud of them, and you see the dreams that you have for them in their life, but this mom, whenever this happened to her 13-year-old daughter, her dream died for her daughter. Her dream died with her, her daughter on that day. It was a terrible thing that happened in Candace Leitner's life, As any parent would be, she was completely devastated by the loss of her child's life. She was devastated by what happened. Her heart was torn apart by the grief that she was experiencing. And and in the midst of her overwhelming sadness, that overwhelming grief and sadness turned into something else. It turned into extreme anger. It turned into her getting very mad, and she got so mad. She did research whenever she found out that there were more deaths every single year in alcohol-related accidents and vehicles in America than even all of the young men, and this was 1980, coming out of the Vietnam War at that time, than all of the young men that had been killed over the course of, uh, of a decade in that war. And she was enraged whenever she found this knowledge out, whenever the, the statistics actually became something that impacted her own family. She was also deeply and rightly angered whenever she discovered that the man who killed her daughter was a repeat offender, that he was somebody that had, uh, had been given a very light sentence by a judge, and this wasn't the first time that he'd been in a situation like this. And as a result of her anger, she, deci- she decided to develop and form an organization that some of you probably already know about. Maybe you uh, are familiar with that. Most of us know it's an organization called what? Mad. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It may have started small, but now through, uh, 
through uh, just it being just getting all of this kind of publicity across America throughout the decades. It's an organization that has spread all across the United States and, and through proper legislative channels. And as a result of, of her efforts and her channeling her anger into something that's positive, laws have been changed. Families have been impacted, uh, you know, largely due to the efforts of a, of a woman who decided to take her anger and this righteous indignation and channel it into something good. Thousands of lives most likely have been saved because of a heartbroken woman who knew how to channel her pain. Who decided to do something, used her anger for something good in her life. Candace Leitner didn't seek revenge against the man and the drunk driver who killed her daughter. She didn't seek to destroy property or people, nor did she internalize and stuff that anger down, uh, growing very uh, in a dark place of uh, bitterness and, and depression. She didn't self-destruct. Instead, she expressed her grief in a positive kind of way, in an appropriate kind of way, expressing that anger that is a righteous anger into something that is constructive rather than destructive. She used it for something good. She got good and mad. In fact, whenever we hear good and mad, those are two words that typically don't go together, right? I mean, we know how to get mad. Am I talking to the right people today, right? We know how to get mad. We know how to do some good things. But rarely do many of us or a lot of us know how to be good and mad. We don't know how to do those kinds of things and channel it. Many of us, we kind of oftentimes, our, our anger can turn into rage if we don't know how to harness it. And uh, over the course of these weeks in our series, we've been learning about, about the negative aspects of anger whenever it's mismanaged. And I know that this is, has struck a chord with many of you as we've talked about anger. We've been getting so much feedback from you guys that this series, some of you, there have been some that have said this has been just a, a series that has touched your life more than any we've ever done because it's, it's real. I mean, it's, it's stuff that's going on in our lives. And whenever our anger is mismanaged, we've been looking at this over the course of these weeks. We've been looking at it in our life groups, talking about that and fleshing it out in a safe place in our groups. And so many of us relate to this. Some of us, we, we've been able to say that anger, when it's out of control in our lives, is destroying our lives. Some of you, it's destroyed your marriage. Some of you, it's wrecking your relationship with your kids. It's wrecking maybe your job. And I mean, we've, we've looked at the negative aspects of this. We've looked and talked about the consequences of it whenever it's not managed properly. The Bible has so much to say about that. We've been looking at that over and over again. I also shared with you and tried to be really transparent with you a few weeks ago about how whenever I had some anger that was going on in my own life and I didn't, I didn't really know what to do with that anger and so I turned that ang anger inward in my life. And I shared with you two weeks ago that that anger that I turned inward and really suppressed and didn't deal with it appropriately, it turned into something in my life that some of you relate to and many of our families relate to. It turned into some battles with depression that I had in my life. And I still battle with it from time to time. You can pray for me. It's something that it is very real. And we wanted to bring exposure to that a couple of weeks ago. And we learned that people who are godly can battle with this. It's something that's real. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. That, that if we don't learn how to deal with it properly and we turn it inward and upward a lot of times, it can turn into bitterness in our life that can lead to depression in our lives. So we've looked at these negative aspects. 
We've looked at the consequences of mishandled anger. We've talked about facts about anger. We've learned that there are different ways of expressing. Some of you are spewers. Would the spewers raise your, raise your hands? Raise them up, spewers. Come on. You spew, right? All right? Some of you, you're more stuffers, and you're more like, you know, and you hold it in. Raise your hands, okay? Some of you are more what uh, we learned in our life groups are leakers, okay? Don't really care for the name, but some of you are leakers, Okay? There are products for that. I'm just saying, okay, but, um, but some of you are more leakers and maybe you won't raise your hand. You're like, I'm not raising my hand, all right? And you're going to leak that anger out later driving home and you'll make us all suffer because you'll go really slow and we can't pass you. You're more passive aggressive, right? There's, there, we've learned a lot of facts. We've learned a lot of things trying to identify with this. But as we bring this series to a conclusion... I want us to move beyond just the understanding about facts of anger. I want us to move beyond just kind of getting a grip on our own anger problems. Those are all good things, you know. It's good to understand what triggers anger. It's good to know, you know, some facts about anger. And it's good to understand the devastation that can happen if we don't get a handle on this. I mean, we really looked at this, but I want to reiterate something today and conclude the series with this key thought. If you're taking some notes, it's something that we're going to, that, that if you haven't discussed in your life group yet, we will be discussing in our life group coming up uh, in, in one of the weeks that's coming. But here's a thought. Anger can actually, uh, when it's channeled properly, can be used by God to affect positive change in your life and in the world around you. That anger, whenever it's channeled and it's harnessed, and you, you, you recognize it in your life, you, whenever you can harness that into something, it can actually be something that's more than just you blowing up and it being all about you, okay? Now, it's good to get a handle on you blowing up, right? I mean, that's a good thing for you to get a handle on that and to know how to work through that. It's, it's this simply, this series has not simply been just about helping you be a little healthier psychologically, although that is something that is important as well. I mean, these, the, the Bible talks so much about the devastation and the negative aspects, but our one desire, a true desire that we have in this series is that we would get such a grasp of understanding the subject matter of anger, we'd get a grip on it, that we would understand that it actually can be a gift in our life. That it's, a, it's an emotion that, that we can recognize is something that God has created that's a, that's a normal emotion, that it's a neutral emotion, that it can either be something that is destructive in our life, which that's what many of us do, is we, we don't harness it properly, and so it's destroying our lives. Or we can, we can learn to channel this anger into something that's positive. We can turn it as a, as a tool or a resource as a, or as a weapon, uh, uh, you, you know, in a good way. Whenever we see injustices, when we see things that are not right that are going on around us, when we see sin that's devastating some of our families, when we see some of the hurt that's, that's going on because of sin, you know, in our community, as, as you're going to hear a little bit about some of that here in just a few moments, you know, we can, when we learn how to channel it properly, you know, God can use that as a powerful, powerful weapon uh, in our lives. We learned in Ephesians chapter 4, now this isn't our main text, you can go ahead and start turning with me to Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter 3. Start turning in your Bibles because we're going to look there and see an instance of, of someone getting angry about something. But in, in, in Ephesians 4, the apostle Paul, we've looked at this nearly every week, said this. He said, and don't sin by letting anger, say it with me church, what? Control you. 
In other words, Paul's saying, you, you don't let anger control you. It should be the other way around. You should be the one that's controlling anger. You should be the one that's subduing anger and using it for your benefit. We learned that uh, in this series that in the original language, in the Greek that this is written in, this is actually an imperative command where Paul says, and he's talking about living in the spirit. He's talking about putting off our old self and putting on the new. And Paul says, be angry. That's how it translates. It's a command. He's saying you ought to get angry about some things. But then what does he say? And sin not. You know, I was thinking about this this week. You're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where in another instance where God is going to say something like this. Be greedy and sin not. You're not going to find him saying be lustful and sin not. Are you following me here? You're not going to find that he's going to say those kinds of things. He's not, he's not going to say, you know, be bitter and sin not. But isn't it interesting that he says, church, be angry. Isn't that interesting? That ought to be like kind of a relief to some of you. Right? To know that you can actually get angry and you can actually not sin. It ought to kind of drop some chains off of us. That, that you can get angry about things that matter. That you should. In fact, I'm going to suggest something to us today. Some of us need to get angry about some things that are going on. Some of us need to get angry about some things that aren't right that are happening around you. Some of us as Christians need to get angry about the fact that, that 80% of the people in our community are not connected to a church. That ought to bother us, right? And it not, not us being angry that they're not in church. It ought to make us angry that, that for, for some reason the gospel is not connecting with people. And oftentimes it's because of us Christians, amen, right? I mean, there ought to be things that, that bother us, that we get angry about, okay? And Paul is going to say, be angry. It's possible to be angry and not sin in the midst of our, of our anger. It's like this tool. We talked about anger being this tool like fire, okay? Fire is good, right? It keeps us warm. The greatest gift is that it, it helps us eat burgers that are good, right? Okay? That is a positive thing right there. It's a good tool, but whenever it is not harnessed, it devastates. Like the Canadian wildfire right now that's just, that's just destroying. Many of you probably read about this this past week. It's destroying just, just thousands of acres up there. It's destroying things, and that's what it's done in our lives, okay? It's this dominating force that, that, that for some of us, it's dominating our lives. And Paul says, no, don't let your anger control you. Harness it. You've got to get it under control, Express it. Now, we've, we've been talking about expression, spewers, stuffers, leakers, you know, passive aggressiveness there. But I want to give you a fourth way that the Bible talks about that is actually a positive way to express anger. This ought to be freeing to you. Write this down. It's this word indignation. There's a type of anger that, that we should get in our lives when we look around and we see something that's not right. Something that is in an injustice that as we look at it, we're going, man, that is not right. There's something wrong here, you know? And so, and so th there's something that ri should rise up within us. 
And that is a righteous indignation. All throughout the word of God, you're going to find God with this, just this transparency with his word that I love so much, showing us what righteous indignation looks like. I mean, you can, you can just trek through the Old Testament. You'll find Moses, whenever he figured out that he wasn't actually an Egyptian, but he was an Israelite. He figured that out, and then he saw how the Egyptians were treating the Israelites. Moses got angry, and, it, and, it, and then at, at a certain point, he harnessed that for something good, right? God used that in his life. You look at David. You see that David, whenever he saw Goliath, was blaspheming God, and the glory of God was on the line. Nobody was doing anything, and David comes along, and he's like, what? We're going to let this guy talk about our God? And he gets angry about this, and he takes on Goliath. You'll find Elijah, this great prophet of God, after Israel's been set free and God's done all these miracles, then they start following idols, worshiping idols, and, and Elijah gets ticked off about this, and he challenges the prophets of Baal to this throwdown, literally up on Mount Carmel, and he gets angry about this. Nehemiah got angry when he looked around and he saw the walls down. He was burdened. It bothered him, and he got angry, uh, you know, and, and he, he channeled it for something good. Pastor Randy talked about Esther, how the injustices that were going to be happening to the Jews, and she saw that, and, and she was one of those, and the plight of her people was on the line, and Haman was, was living this out. She got angry and used it for something good. You can look in the New Testament. Paul got angry about things. Stephen got angry about things. I mean, you're going to find anger, righteous indignation over and over again, and as I was kind of studying this and looking at this, one thing that I thought about was this, is you're going to see righteous indignation, and many of these are a great model of what to do with anger, no doubt, okay? But you're also going to find that some of them really blew it with anger too. I mean, and we talked about that. Some of them really messed up. David really messed up. Moses messed up. Elijah got depressed whenever he turned his anger inward at one point. We see some things that happened with these guys. They messed up. They were not infallible. But you know, as I started thinking, there is one model for us that is a perfect model of how to handle our anger. And he was fully God and he's fully man and his name is Jesus Christ. And he models for us what we should do whenever anger emerges in our life, whenever there's opportunities for anger. Here's just a few things to write down, some observations about Jesus as a model, a perfect model in dealing with anger, right? We are to be Christi Christians, that's little Christ, Christians, imitators of Jesus is what it means, okay? So Jesus sometimes got angry. I want to show you how he handled some of this. First of all, when it comes to opportunities for anger, write this down. A lot of times you'll find Jesus most of the time just passing over inconsequential personal attacks. You'll find that whenever his enemies started coming after him, his enemies started criticizing him. They started personally attacking him. Jesus, a lot of times, you just kind of just let that roll off of him. He would just kind of walk away. He wouldn't engage with them at certain times when they just got really personal with him. And he didn't sweat the small stuff when they started getting petty with him. And, and he, didn't, he wouldn't get bogged down in, in their, their trivial minutia. I always love when they would try to trip him up with a question. And Jesus would, would, would respond with a, with a question back. Don't you love that, right? They'd be like, well, what do you think about this, Jesus? And Jesus would be like, well, what do you think about that? You know, and he would do this and they'd be like, he just Jedi mind tricked us. How did he do that, right? Okay. I mean, he would just totally just turn it around on them. 
you know, he wasn't screaming at them. He wasn't yelling at them. You just find when it was a personal attack, Jesus just knew how to handle it. All right? He handled this so appropriately. He was secure in his identity. That's a big key. Secure in who he is in Christ. When you are secure in who you are in Christ, when people attack you personally, it's easier to let those things roll off, right? So some of us, were not very secure in who we are in Jesus. That's why we get so upset whenever people maybe come at us personally. But Jesus would go into towns. He would preach. People would literally reject him. They wouldn't only just reject him. There would be some that would pick up stones to try to, try to really physically attack him. And a lot of times Jesus would just walk off. He didn't retaliate. He wasn't like, oh, you're going to pick up stones and kill me? How about I would just throw a mountain on you or anything? All right? It's a good thing I'm not Jesus because that's what I might have done. Okay? And... Uh, and so this is just, an, he would just let these things roll off. Here's something else to write down. When you look at Jesus, he would forgive those who hurt him. Now notice this is all personal. He would forgive people who would personally hurt him. Right? There's nobody that modeled this better than Jesus. And there's nobody who was more unjustly treated than the perfect sinless son of God. Wouldn't you agree? He had never done anything to anybody, and yet he said, while man was doing his very worst to him while he was on the cross, what did Jesus say, guys? You know what he said? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He modeled that. Here's the third thing. He prayed for those who mistreated him. He prayed. He not only taught that on the Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching them. You pray for people whenever they mistreat you, whenever there's this injustice that's happening. Don't retaliate, he's saying. Don't, don't get bogged down in the petty stuff that some people try to engage in with you. You know, die to self. Pray for people. Jesus modeled this, right? He lived it out. Here's a fourth thing. Write this down. He loved people with a deep compassion. He acted redemptively whenever people hurt him. And I think about specifically his disciples. You know, they were the, some of the, the closest ones to him. They betrayed him. They walked away from him. They denied him. Do you think that hurt? I think it hurt deeply. And he could have gotten all bitter about that. He could have been like, you know, forget these guys. You know, I'll go find a bunch of new disciples. I'll start over. These bunch of punks, they won't even follow me when it gets rough, you know. He, I mean, he pursued them. You'll find in John, in the Gospel of John, him going after Peter and restoring him redemptively and saying, look, Peter, I know you did this, but I want you to know I love you. And that's how we should act with people whenever there's sin and whenever there's things that happen. We should pursue and try to wrap our arms around people and, and do our best. And we can't control everybody, but we should do our best to act redemptively whenever people hurt us. And you know, what we've learned about Jesus, and we talked about it in one of these weeks, a big key to controlling our anger is whenever we actually learn what it means to live what we call the crucified life where I die to myself. That's the reason whenever I get so upset, at a, at maybe at a stop sign, or, or I get upset driving, and I use a lot of driving illustrations because that seems to be where it manifests itself most in me, okay? And, and, and whenever I've actually started going, why am I upset about this? Why do I care? Oftentimes what I'll find is that I am not dead to self. 
is that it's usually a self-problem that's going on within me. We've learned a lot about this, and Jesus models this, that if we are to be uh, these Christians, these little Christ, then we've got to learn, like Jesus, to die to self, okay? Now, here's the fifth thing. Now, when we, when we, hear, about, when we hear about these things like, uh, you know, he, he was under control. We've, we see that he acted in compassion. He overlooked things. When personal attacks were going on, he forgave. That's all stuff we expect about Jesus, right? We're like, that's Jesus, Bart. That's what Jesus does. There's something that I want you to know about how he, how he modeled anger for us and when there was an opportunity for anger. And I want us to see this. Number five, write this down. Jesus always courageously stood up for righteous principles. And Jesus always, you're going to find, standing up for broken people. You're going to find Jesus in the middle of doing that. You know what you're going to find? A lot of times when he would do that, he would get very angry. He would get angry when he would see injustices happening to people. He would get angry at the hypocrisy that was going on. And, and the hypocrisy, he got angry about that because he saw how it was affecting uh, the perception that people had of God. And he would get angry about that. He got angry at sin. That was devastating. Now, what you're going to find, and this is powerful, guys. Listen, he would get angry at sin, but he would be tender with those who were trapped in sin, right? But he would be angry about the sin that was wrecking their life. He'd get angry about that. He would, he would get angry about the consequences. He got angry about religious oppression, that the spiritual leaders of the day were, were, were just destroying the, the image of God before people. They were so filled with spiritual pride. He got angry at their spiritual abuse, and that's what I'll call it, spiritual abuse. That the religious, religious leaders, these who should have been leading people closer to God, and because of their spiritual abuse, because of their sinfulness in their life, Jesus got angry about this because it was pushing people away from God when they should have been leading people closer to God. Jesus got angry about right things, right? How many times do we get angry about things that we look back on and it's like, man, why did I get so ticked off about that? I mean, I blew it in my anger. Why did I blow up on my family like that? Why did I get so, you know, crazy down at my job over something so petty, you know? And so often we pick these battles that don't matter. You're going to find Jesus never engaging in a battle that doesn't matter. You're going to find Jesus picking his battles well. He's going to pick them well, and then he's going to get angry about them, and he's going to harness that anger into something that's powerful. You're going to find that, that he would get angry about things that matter. There's so many passages of Scripture that model this for us, okay? But I want to take you to one specifically. In Mark chapter 3, I want to show you that Jesus specifically, it speaks to his anger. Now, there are others that show us that he got angry, but in this passage, it's the only one in the gospel that describes describes Jesus with the word anger. It says that he gets angry. They're, they're, again, they, they, let me give you some context. These Pharisees are already trying to trip him up. They're already trying to trap him in his words. They are already, he's mixing it up with them about certain things and having words with them. You're going to find him being tender with people who are prostitutes. He's, he's going to be compassionate with people who are tax collectors, the sinners. But he's going to get into it with these guys who are the spiritual abusers. And he's going to have this, these words with them. And they are so consumed with trying to trap him. They hate him. They are plotting his murder. 
And yet they are so concerned about something he might do on the Sabbath. I want you to see the hypocrisy in this, okay? And, and so his, his disciples in chapter 2 are eating grain while they're going through a field because they're hungry. They start criticizing Jesus for that, saying, don't you see these guys are doing this? It was all outward show for them. It was all a hypocritical show. And, uh, and so it's going to spill over into chapter 3. Jesus goes in the synagogue. He's doing some teaching. And uh, it's on the Sabbath there. And, and he's not going to play games with them. He's going to have this conversation with them, and he's going to show them that he is Lord, not only just of of a few things, but Lord even over the Sabbath. So they're going to criticize him. And so here's what we find in verse 1. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. And so they're looking for a way to trap Jesus. If he healed the man's hand... I want you to see this. They plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. I mean, God forbid someone do something nice for someone on the Sabbath, right? God forbid we show some love and some compassion that God would want us to show towards people who are hurting. God forbid we do something positive. They are so caught up and bound up in their hatred, their jealousy, their bitterness, their pride. I want you to hear the hypocrisy of this. They are criticizing him for a small thing on the Sabbath and they are in turn plotting murder. Do you see the hypocrisy? And they're going to call him out for this one little thing. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand. So they're watching Jesus for just one little thing. They're watching. They're criticizing. They're looking. But you need to know Jesus is watching them. And he's watching. And he's saying, he says, he says to the man with a deformed hand. He looks out and it's like I'd say something today if I saw one of you that had some ailment. And he says, you know what? He says, come up here. Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to the, what's the word, church? Critics. He turned to the critics. He didn't run away. This was a righteous battle right here. And he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Oh, Jesus is turning it around on him. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? He's going to trap. You want to trap me in words? Let's go. All right, that's what he's doing right here. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? What were they doing at that point? Plotting his murder. Is it, I mean, you're going you're to critique me for healing this guy, for helping someone, and you're thinking about murdering me? Well, well, well. I mean, this is what Jesus is doing right here. It's powerful. Okay? Is it a day to save life or a day to do what? What does it say? Destroy it. Now, what do the critics do? They wouldn't answer him. So he looked around at them. What does the word say? Everybody say it with me. He looked around at them. Say it with me. Angrily. That's the only time Jesus is described by a word with anger. Now, you see it modeled. There's other other passages, but it says he was angry. He was deeply saddened. There was a burden on his heart, saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. 
So the man held out his hand, and it was restored because that's what Jesus does. At once, the Pharisees went away. I mean, these guys are ticked off now. So you see bad anger, and it manifesting in their life, and you see righteous anger, right? And they went away. They met with supporters of Herod on how to plot to kill Jesus. We can't heal somebody, but let's just go murder somebody. All right, we can't heal, but let's murder. He's angry at the hardness of hearts. He's angry at their spiritual abuse. He's angry at the fact that they're so blinded by their jealousy and their hatred. They cared more about tripping him up than about this man that's hurting in their presence. Right? And he's angry about this. Their primary concern was themselves. It was their pride. It was that Jesus was making them look bad. They should have repented at that point, but they wouldn't because they're so prideful. He's angry, and, and you know, Jesus stood up. When you look at Jesus in different passages, you're going to see that he stood up for things that are right. He noticed people that were hurting. He noticed injustices around him, and the religious leaders hated him for it. They hated him for this. Matthew 23, you'll find him calling them. He gets into a time where he starts calling them he says, you brood of vipers. That was like a horrible thing to say to them. You brood of snakes. You bunch of snakes. They knew snakes would be equivalent to Satan, right? They knew that. I mean, he's calling them out for the hypocrisy. He called them, you blind guides. Jesus would say, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, that was like an insult of insults right there. Oh, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are dead. You are corrupt. Your, your uh, religion is so dead on the inside. That's what he said. And they hated him for us. In Mark chapter 11, he goes into the, into the temple again. And he sees money changers that are taking advantage of people. And, and people who are trying to get close to God are getting cheated. And they're, they're, they're charging this exorbitant tax, right? And, and they're trying to make sacrifices to God. And, and they've turned it into this, this farce, this, this worship of God. And he says, I'm sick of this. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And the scripture says, now he didn't go in and go, now you guys just get on out of here. Y'all just move along, you bunch of snakes. No, it says he starts turning over tables. I mean, Jesus goes ballistic. He picked his battles well. I mean, Jesus knew that this was, he got angry about this. He got ticked off. He had a righteous indignation. And it was coupled with compassion for the people that were being mistreated. And God was being misrepresented in such a way. And that really made him angry. It made him angry. And I want you to know that you can spew, right? And go off and be filled with sin and regrets. You can stuff Right? And just kind of uh, have that stuff and, and that turns inward and get depressed and, and grow bitter and be, become an angry person. You can, you can be a person that's passive aggressive, right? And know how to work that and punish other people and, and do that. Or at some point, we can start picking battles that really matter. We can start looking around at things that matter to the heart of God and say, you know what? I'm tired of that. I'm tired of this wrecking my family. I'm tired of my marriage coming under attack. I'm tired of what's going on with some of my kids. I'm tired of the sin that's destroying and addictions in my community. I'm tired of things that matter. But listen, it, what we can often do is in our anger become angry looking people, right? 
Sometimes I have to ask Hope, my wife, when I'm preaching, do I look angry? And she's like, you might want to tone it down a little, buddy, okay? All right, so sorry if I look angry. I'm not angry at you. I get intense. But, but here's the deal. We don't want to have a countenance that's always anger. We want to have a countenance where, where we are angry and disturbed and bothered by things, but we use it to move us positively into things that actually really matter. You also got to remember that maybe there are people that are harming you or harming your family or doing things. But you know what Paul says? He says in Ephesians where he talks about being angry and sin not. If you keep reading in Ephesians, he will talk that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Do you realize that the destruction that's happening in our lives and in many of our families and in our church and in our community is because we have a very real spiritual enemy who is on the attack? And he hates your guts, and he's trying to tear your family up. He's trying to tear this church up. He's trying to tear up anything that is good and righteous. And you know what? That ought to make you mad. It ought to get you angry, and you ought to stand up and say, not on my watch, not in my watch at all. I want you to hear the story as we, as we get ready to kind of wrap this up. I want you to hear a powerful story on this video you're going to see of someone in our church that had a struggle with anger, and they began to channel that anger into something that was positive. I want you to hear Courtney's story. She's a great friend of mine, and I want you to hear what God is doing in her life. My name's Courtney Shaddox. I've been attending EVC since last fall. Pastor Bart and Hope are my neighbors. I've struggled with anger for quite a while. I have two daughters. My daughter Taylor, she was able to take that anger and channel it um, positively in her life. My daughter JC, however, um, was affected more deeply and it culminated into negative decisions, negative thinking, um, and ultimately negative circumstances. My daughter was a victim of child trafficking. Um, she began to develop behavioral issues um, at school. Uh, we went to counseling. That void still wasn't filled for her. Social media took hold. Traffickers and predators are able to get hold of children who are more susceptible or easily influenced, and they fill that void. My daughter began to trust people over the internet more than her own family. JC was groomed. She had been picked up from our house. She was a habitual runaway, but she'd never been gone for very long. They had groomed her to go into strip clubs and sit with men who paid her to drink with them. They groomed her to go work at beer barns and sell alcohol to men at cars with barely any clothes on. Last fall, JC ran away. She had been groomed through the traffickers to feel safe, to feel wanted. She began stripping in one of the clubs here nearby and then ultimately um, was sexually trafficked. I became extremely angry. It began to destroy me. It began to destroy my marriage, um, my relationship with my daughter, um, JC's younger sister, and even it, at work. I couldn't control this. 
I'm an ICU nurse, and we want to control everything. And this wasn't something I could control. Uh, I went, I talked to Pastor Bart. Uh, I explained, you know, what was going on uh, right next door. Uh, and it, for so long, it had been such a source of, I don't know if it was shame about what was going on with JC or more shame of myself as a parent that this could have happened. He was able to show me that I can't control everything because God's more powerful and he's in control. It was almost as if a sense of peace came across. Um, JC was still missing. I knew he was in control and I knew that what he, you know he was doing, he would take care of things and that I was just going to follow his lead basically. We were able, after a little over three weeks, uh, a private investigator and a wonderful organization that I was able to find. We did find JC. She was on probation, so she went straight back into the juvenile system. And she's now in Michigan for trauma counseling and substance abuse counseling. Um, and so we know she's safe. We know she's healing. For me, once I kind of let that anger go at the situation about fixing what was going on in the moment. I realized I can still have anger, but I can use it in a positive light. So what I've done, uh, I'll tell my story to anybody that'll listen. I'll tell JC's story to anybody that'll listen. Because if her story can change one life or educate one person or bring to light that this, is, this isn't an inner city problem, this isn't a socioeconomic problem. This is a people problem. And once we all, I think, are better able to understand that, we can better defend uh, our children against it. Because right now, it's the dirty little secret that a lot of us, when we're going through it, you're not really sure who you want to tell. I also have joined Team Hope, which is a uh, volunteer support peer network for the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. We support other parents in the midst of their child being missing. Uh, we support other parents of exploitation cases. It gives a parent going through this a safe place to vent. There's a lot of things to this that you're not going to go tell somebody at the basketball game when they ask you how you're doing. There's a lot of things that come along with the guilt of what maybe you did as a parent. And there's a lot of things, I think, the perception of what a child trafficking victim is. Our children aren't ruined. Our children are children. They're broken, but we're all working to help them find what they need to heal. So they're not a lost cause, and we're not going to give up on them. And I think that's really the message that I took home the most um, with talking to Pastor Bart. I can't fix what has happened, but I can do my very best to make sure that others in the community are aware of it. And if I can prevent it from happening to one family, then I think then that was the reason this happened. I'm not holding it in anymore, and I'm helping others that are going through it uh, because it's very difficult, it's very lonely, uh, and it's also, it's very frustrating. Uh, so, you know, we're on this journey, and we're going to be on this journey for a long time, 
But I really feel like if we focus and channel our anger in the right way, doesn't mean you like it, but you can have positive things and affect change because of that versus perpetuating negativity. And that's our story. What a story, right? That's my next door neighbor. You know, it's interesting. Last year sometime, God started kind of speaking my heart before I even knew this was happening in, in uh, Shaddox's life. God was speaking in my heart about us maybe developing some kind of ministry towards human trafficking victims, families, something just, I was telling Randy last year, I was like, I think God's doing something with me about this. I don't know. I'm going to pray about this, seek the Lord in this. I'd have some of you independently of even knowing anything come up to me and say, Bart, I feel like God's leading me to do something about this. This is something that's on our hearts. This is a real deal. Someone else would come up to me. One of our, our, our young life groups, uh, the Bolin life group, approached me a few weeks ago. They didn't know, had no idea. Danny had no idea whenever I asked him to do this video with Courtney what she was going to be talking about. He was blown away that day. He was making the video. God's doing something in the hearts of our people. Some of you have expressed interest in this. We're going to be launching a ministry, Lord willing, sometime in the month of June. And we're, and we're still gathering information. We want to be prepared. But you see, here's the thing. A lot of times we think, well, that's something that happens in the inner cities, or that's something that happens in a third world country, or slavery, because that's what it is. Slavery, that doesn't happen anymore. Do you know there are more slaves today, right now, than there has ever been in the history of the world? That ought to bother us. Amen? And we ought to not get angry at these young women or these young folk. We ought to get angry at the fact that sin is wrecking people's lives like that. And we as the church are called by God to come around those that are broken and weak and hurting and do everything we can. So you'll be hearing more about a ministry like that emerging in the coming weeks. And maybe God will lead you to get on board with this ministry towards those who are, have been hurt by human trafficking or their families are hurt or maybe you know someone. God may put that as a burden on your heart. Here's another burden that, that I've been burdened with lately that I've gotten angry about. You guys know how passionate we are about planting churches and planting churches, especially amongst the Quebecois up in uh, Quebec and Montreal, where God is doing this incredible thing. We've told you about it, where there were 8 million Quebecois people up there. Uh, there's less than one half percent that have the gospel in their lives. 40,000 people, only 40,000 people know Jesus and amongst 8 million people. Very few churches up there. So we've been working with planting churches. Within the last two months, we've had two church planters that have been taken out by moral failures. And we could get mad at those church planters, but here's what I know. Those church planters are under attack because they're on the front lines. Their families have a target on them. And we could get mad at them, or we could recognize that there is a real spiritual enemy that is trying to kill a movement of God that's going on up there, right? And we could join in prayer. So today, uh, about one o'clock, you're going to be getting, if you're signed up for emails, you're going to be getting something from me. It's going to share with you and how we've been invited and asked to lead a movement of prayer for those church planters that are up in that, in that amongst the Quebecois people group there. We've been asked to lead in that, up in that area with other churches all across America. And maybe God would call you to get involved in that. Maybe that's not your heart, though, but here is what I want to ask you, okay? What bothers you? What is it that, that is a battle that you know that you need to engage in? 
Maybe for so long you've been picking battles that don't matter. They're not going to last. And, and you know, you've been engaged in things that don't really aren't going to last eternally. And God is wanting you to channel that hurt, to channel that pain like Courtney into something that is po- positive, into something that can change lives. And so I just ask you this, what, what are you bugged by? What, what's, what hurts that you look around when you open your eyes and maybe you're not consumed so much on, on your petty annoyances or the things that bother you when you drive or those things, but we actually open our eyes and go, you know what, man, there's some real injustice that's happening around me. There's some things that I see that aren't right. Nobody's standing up for this. I'm going to stand up for this. And I may be criticized. I may, I may not have a lot of support. But somebody, just like Jesus did, somebody's got to stand up for something that is right. Amen, church? Shouldn't the church of Jesus Christ be the one that's doing that? Amen? Instead of just being maybe angry people that are angry, all that, we should get angry at things that matter. You can be good and mad. and Use it for something positive. Maybe you just say, Man, this has been a real pain in my life. We say all the time around here, don't waste your pain. Use it. Harness it. Channel it into something that's going to make a difference in someone else's life. I want to just invite you to prayer. Can we pray together? Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much. God, just for the model that you have given us on how to channel our anger into things that, that matter. With our heads bowed just before the Lord, maybe you're just contemplating now. God's been nudging you in a certain area about getting involved. Maybe you're just heartbroken that your neighbors don't know the truth of the gospel. Maybe you're bothered by something at work that you've seen that's just not right. Maybe you are are looking around and there's a family that's been hurt in some kind of way and nobody's doing anything to love on them. Maybe, maybe that you know, is bothering you and you haven't been doing anything about it. And God today would say, I want you to get mad about some things. It's okay. I want you to stand up for those that are weak right now. I want you to, I want you to speak up about something that you see as an injustice. I want you to have some courage and be my representative. I want you to be light in the darkness. I want you to stand up and pick a battle that is righteous and let go of some of these things that you've been warring over that just don't matter. So, Father, today, here we are before you, just your vessels, Lord. You've given us just these incredible examples of of when you would get angry, Lord. You you would get angry about things that, that mattered. And, Lord, I know that when you did, often you were criticized. I know that religious people would often come against you. Father, you didn't let those things deter you from seeking justice and doing right loving people. Maybe today the thing that you are bothered by again is a personal thing. Maybe it's your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's, it's something that's happening with one of your kids. 
Maybe your anger has been directed at your spouse or directed at your children or directed at a boss. What if you recognize that behind that is a spiritual enemy who hates you and your anger was actually channeled in the right direction and you're like, I'm not going to be mad at these people anymore. I have an enemy that I'm going to pray against in the name of Jesus. God, would you teach us how to harness anger as the church for things that are going to change lives? We welcome that in Jesus' name. Lord, we continue just to pray for JC and others like her. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Andrew.